Welcome, everyone, to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to bring you our Star Wars The Last Jedi Spectacular. Pete, for people who have not seen it, hit pause right after I tell you that the Fantastic Four show up in the (laughs) post-credit scene. It is insane. I can't believe who they got to play Doctor Doom, but Pete, that's for later on. For everybody else, if you proceed past this point, you've seen the movie. Yes, you better have seen the movie, or maybe you just want to know everything going in like I did. Uh, Up front, I will give you the disclaimer. I am an unabashed Star Wars fan. I I don't know anybody more than than me. Um, And uh, I unabashedly adored this movie. It's it's not the pinnacle for me. It's not the Empire Strikes Back. I don't know that anything ever could be. Um, but I found this film just so richly satisfying. I've seen it twice. I can't wait to see it again. Pete, I will say I unabashedly really liked the movie. And when I came home, my wife thought I was down on it. And I said, no, no, no. Great movies you need to be able to digest. And that's Mm -hmm. certainly how I was with The Force Awakens. I remember walking out of there going, okay, I have all sorts of questions. And on repeat viewing, you realize some of the JJ camera moves are, you know, that look handheld indeed, maybe handheld, but they are pitch perfect. And this bit of the story and that bit of the story is perfect. So while I'm coming in, maybe not at, at full, uh, full light speed here, Pete, a little bit slower, slightly sub light. Um, <laughs> I kind of reserve, I, I, I reserve the ability to let my, to let my opinion evolve over time. And it occurred to me walking out of the theater that it's this rare thing. The first time you see a new star Wars movie. So it's almost, I, I, and James Bond and, and other uh, of these where there's kind of this rich history to it. So you're almost at a little bit of a disadvantage to compare the one or two viewings compared to the 80 times that you've seen a new hope or whatever it might be. Pete, we're going to do that just the same. We're going to overcome that obstacle just as we overcame another obstacle last night in our AMC theater. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's uh, twice in five days now, Matt, I've had an issue at this particular AMC theater, which was remodeled less than two years ago, right after the force awakens. Great timing guys. But, um, so I had an issue on Sunday when we went to see the disaster artists, uh, in which our row, the whole thing with AMC and, and this theater in particular with the remodel, they want you picking the seats and you pick them and you go there and there are napkins everywhere and there is junk and the theater had clearly not been cleaned. You have an assigned seat, which again, they want you picking, they want you sitting in. And, uh, my buddy's seat didn't recline all sorts of issues there. You tweet at them and the tweet response, Matt back, which you read and maybe some of our followers saw as well was literally go tell someone in the theater. Um, I, I just did tell someone in the theater, like you are their Twitter. So please handle it. Um, So there's that, which they really seem to misunderstand. And last night, well, back to Sunday for a second, you had mentioned how they criminally underlight their projectors. And then last night, maybe the second worst image I've ever seen 
on the screen in terms of brightness. I kept wanting to turn it up. I wasn't getting out of my seat, though. There is legitimately there was one plot point that we can discuss towards the the end of our podcast because it occurs towards the end of the film that I legitimately did not catch a plot point because I could not physically see the thing that they were trying to show us. Spoiler Pete. <laughs> Thank goodness Spoiler Pete has seen multiple copies and uh, and uh, multiple presentations, etc. Pete, enough with the dark times. It is another trip to AMC theaters. The Empire <laughs> underlits their films in order to save money. Money that already is being pinched from Disney, which is taking 65% of the gate as opposed to the normal 50. And any theaters that didn't like that could simply not get a copy. Is there a glimmer of hope, Pete? There is. And that's the slam bang beginning of this film. In digesting it this week, Matt, it really dawned on me. These last two movies are one gigantic story pretty much without any kind of stoppage. You could watch them directly and, yeah, we get the slightest bit of repeat just for if you're coming in cold with Ray arriving on the planet of Ochto and uh, Luke promptly throws the lightsaber over his uh, shoulder there. Um, but this this bold beginning essentially matt in between films they 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 go back and begin with the escape from the resistance base on dakar this is obviously not tonally a drastically different movie than the than the 7 which have preceded it it did occur to me that with all that the force awakens needed to do in terms of really cementing the next chapter of Star Wars films and reigniting it as a uh, as a film property, and all of the um, all of the callbacks and echoes and and nostalgia stuff that J.J. Abrams is so great at, uh, sometimes to his criticism. Although I think I've I've really come to enjoy the Force Awakens because of all that stuff. There's a certain sense where this is the first movie in the rest of the star wars films however far that's going to go i guess we have you know this and then nine and then the three ryan johnson ones uh obviously the uh the the, the standalones as well but my point being insofar as this is one of the episodic numbered uh star wars films the fact that it's it's gonna be a little different and diverge a bit that's okay uh the fact that luke in you know we go from the end of Force Awakens with one of the great cliffhangers, obviously not the greatest, the greatest film cliffhanger is the one in Empire Strikes Back, but this great, really emotional moment to essentially slapstick comedy. It's To me, that's a bit of a sign to say, you know, get, get ready for not treating the previous seven films as a sacred text, which we'll talk about Jedi sacred texts later, but treating treating the previous films as a changeable, mutable thing, and we're going to continue to change and evolve under the Star Wars umbrella. And isn't that, at the heart of this film, one of the two central themes? You've got to let go, both on the light side and on the dark side. You've, you've got to let it die. You've got to kill it, Matt, and move forward for it to be this new thing. And when you think about the, the Buddhism and the uh, Dharmaism that uh, the Jedi were essentially uh, made with, 
the idea of, of letting go of things, of not holding them too tight. And what's happened to Luke here? He's held on so tight to these teachings that his failure uh, has pretty much paralyzed him, that he's gone to this island to die. Uh, and then you look over at the other side with Kylo Ren, who is so stuck in the mode of, you know, I got a boss I really don't like. Um, I, I should be the boss. Oh, hey, there's this new girl. We, we could start something new and different, which is the apprentice master relationship that every Jedi and Sith has ever had. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's both. I mean, this is the, the breaking of the wheel, but at the same time, they make two new wheels. And by the end of the film, and we'll get to that, you know, coda in a little bit. There is so much open possibility moving forward, yet the reverence for what's come before remains. I shall save my harumphs for that coda when the time comes. Uh, I, I like that, despite the fact that this is still obviously a Star Wars story, um, and one of the main ones, mind you. Uh, I like, I really, really like the smallness of the, um, the the story arc. I can't quite put it. The fact that we go, the main heart of the film, we go from escape to car, end up in what appears to be the middle of nowhere, and then end up on what planet, Pete? Crate. Crate. So, salt, mineral, uh, beautiful uh, set design with the red rock and the stalactites and the, and the salt on top of it, which has already become a meme. I, I appreciate that, that they didn't set out and say, no, 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 we must do the, the tour of a thousand locations. I mean, yes, there's the right. side, there, there's a whole variety of places that the story goes, but the fact that the rebels escape from Dakar, go the to resistance. the trade system, pardon me, the resist. Well, <laughs> Pete, they are rebels and new. They the call end, themselves they? rebels later. And I, I think that's part of it too. You know, the, the rebel alliance is, is reborn. The rebellion is reborn is said. Um, so again, we've renamed things yet. We're back to that idea and the, the newness yet the sameness the light and the dark, the balance, I think it's so completely and beautifully is underscored throughout this film. And I think how they have plotted the story out lets the character moments really shine through. And I could not, uh, let me put it this way, I am not saying that The Last Jedi, in my mind at this point, is um, anywhere near The Empire Strikes Back. I think maybe it could develop into that over time as I digest it. Uh, we shall see. But I remember being a kid when these, when the original trilogy came out on tape and I was properly seeing these films for the first time and you watch Empire Strikes Back when I was seven or eight years old and it's like, why aren't they all together hanging out again? There are these <laughs> separate stories. Okay, I guess Han Solo wants to kiss Princess Leia. Uh, whatever, I guess that's a thing. And then why is Luke all the time at the boring planet with Yoda? Like, let's get back to real Star Wars. Obviously, now I have a mature, more mature view of things. Mm -hmm. But my point is, this movie had some of that, which I'm trying to screen. I'm trying to take my my child uh, mindset and now express it through an adult mindset, which is I appreciate Empire now because it does split up the group because it does give them opportunities to grow, even though every single moment isn't 
you know, isn't action adventure. There are these character moments. This movie has that too, where they split them up and to get to the very end where you say, you know, that, that, that finally, uh, Ray and Poe officially formally meet. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, that's a, that, that's a, a, a clue to, Hey, we're getting the band back together in full force for the, the, the next movie. But in the interim that we've only gotten this far, where now they're just meeting. So I hope I that mean, came could, out as the compliment it was intended. Could, could you imagine, uh, you know, Han and, 3PO, for instance, I'm just using, you know, two characters for the sake of argument meeting at the end of Empire Strikes Back for the first time. It it would never be allowed to happen. And, you know, so the criticism of The Force Awakens was you rehashed A New Hope, which I I think is silly. Um, Do I think there's some similarity? I do. But then, you know, you've you've really got to cool it with that comparison. And is it that bad that the the reboot of your Star Wars franchise is, you know, in a way that pays honor to and pushes in a different direction that formula, which has since been, you know, done or tried many, many different times. So the concern was, oh, this is going to be Empire. Oh, no, there's a throne room and there are guards. This is Jedi. And what this film, I think, does so well, and it's up front in the advertising, and it's even in the dialogue of the film, it subverts the tropes ingrained in this saga of, I'm going to go and train with a Jedi Master, of, now I'm going to be brought before the big, bad, evil guy who has guards who wear red, and my lightsaber's going to be taken. Now we're going to have a fleet that's, on the run and attempting to, uh, you know, make a strike. Uh, even now we're going to have a, a crucially, uh, undermined force in small little speeders take on massive walkers on a planet that's primary color is white, but it's done differently and it's done in an effective way. And it's like Luke said, you know, what do you, what do you expect me to go out with a laser sword and face down the entire First Order. They told you, Matt, what was going to happen, and still nobody saw that twist coming. Well, I saw that twist coming because of the way they had his uh, his beard sculpted and hair colored uh, when he when he showed up. But we'll save that for a moment. I will I will say this, um, and in terms of there being some familiarities, and Pete, I will tread lightly here because I know people don't always appreciate allegory in their science fiction but when the force awakens came out there was a certain sense i think for most people that like space nazis nazis really a thing no i think we have a slightly different feeling now as to you know white supremacy (laughs) and and nazis and things like that still being a sentiment in our real world and you go back and watch the force awakens and go yeah, of course they didn't go away after 30 years. Of course the Empire has its remnants and has its loyalists and has people wishing for it to be back the way it was. Duh, I just figured out that there's people in my world who feel that way too sometimes. So I I think if we're going to accept that, then we can also accept, hey, sometimes we circle back to a reinterpretation of the white planet or we circle back to, to, you know, a, a 
this is where the the apprentice becomes a proper Jedi in the second movie of the trilogy. Things like that, we realize this isn't just some sort of cutesy wootsy. Uh, life is a wheel. No, life sometimes is actually a wheel, and we actually do repeat ourselves. Right. You know, if if I hear Canto bite called Bespin again, uh, it's going to be too soon. Okay, so there are places where the wealthy of the galaxy go that are beautiful, where there are distractions, where they don't care about the rest of the galaxy's problems. Okay, welcome to our world. Welcome to pretty much every world universe you're going to talk about. These are universal ideas, but they were presented differently. And you look at some of those themes presented within the larger piece you know, here Rose as the neophyte, as the new character being brought to that environment and seeing the abuse of beautiful animals and seeing the mistreatment of children and seeing the profiteering of war by the one percent, Matt. Uh, gee, where where could that possibly have uh, come from an allegory when you consider that this film was uh quickly uh added a, a couple things as far as a as a rewrite right after the force awakens came out a little under two years ago and boom so there you go not to say that i'm sure they were on set and made some decisions like oh boy you know here we go this kind of thing but um it, it's it's universal and timely simultaneously well, let's talk about the timelessness of uh, Carrie Fisher in the film here. Obviously, her last uh, her last film appearance. And Pete, I relish this complete performance that we see here. Uh, thank goodness she completed filming before it was done. We have no no Paul Walker situation here, no Grand Moff Tarkin situation where shots are reused or computer generated characters are are are, are produced. Um, I mean, it was just what, what an expanded, lovely performance she gave. The only thing they were unable to do and they had to get creative in post-production was her ADR, her automated dialogue recording to go on top of uh, whatever they recorded on the set. Um, you know, fate has a funny way about it, Matt. And here we were just short of a year ago. Um, for Rogue One and within days of her digital doppelganger showing up at the very end, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Rogue One, if, if you haven't stop and I just ruined that for you. <laughs> <laughs> will, will they get spoiler those plans Pete. of the Death Star, Pete? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, she has that unfortunate heart attack and on the airplane and, and she, is off life support a couple of days later. And then her mother dies the very next day. Uh, I don't know how you can term it anyway, other than a broken heart and just the outpouring. And that is clearly the celebrity death that I have felt the most to this point, you know, knock on wood, um, you know, cause I'm a Luke Skywalker guy and, and this movie, you know, it's, it's, it's a movie that's put out for the masses, but this movie was phenomenally personally uh, sent, I feel, to me in terms of, you know, what goes on with him um, and to him. And the whole idea that Fisher is in this 
is it her greatest Star Wars film? I mean, you look with hindsight being 2020 that it's done now that she will not be in any more. And the lines have resonance. The scenes have resonance, uh, the ideas and, um, that she gets pulled out the bridge there. And, you know, they, they might have made the decision and I'm sure for a moment it was pondered like, okay, she has died. We've, we've got to deal with the post-production of this film. Do we make that it? Is that the end of her story? She gets pulled out into space and she's a casualty. But you think what it would have necessitated going forward with the rest of the film, she's in other scenes with Ray, with Poe, with uh, Laura Dern, with all these other characters, they would have had to reshoot those. And I, I think you've got to be true and authentic to everything you recorded with her. That being said, and we'll talk about it towards the end, they have a massive, unenviable task headed into that ninth movie. She will not appear via CGI. They have stated that. There will be no recasting of the role. And I just continue to roll over my mind. I mean, I knew for a long time she survived this movie. Um, what what you do here? I just don't know. I think it's to the uh, the benefit of the production that they will have had three years to figure that out. And I think just like with uh, Paul Walker in the Fast and the Furious uh, films, you give the franchise a little uh, story benefit of the doubt. Like I, I know, for example, with Paul Walker, some people say, oh, well, it's it's a shot reused from the second movie where this and another shot here, you could see how it's a, it's a double because his back is to the camera. All right, someone passed away and couldn't complete the role. Right. Same thing, how, wherever the story goes in episode nine, you know, regardless of what they do with the character, whether it's off screen, have her pass away or she's back on base a, and most of the stuff takes place on base B and you get a couple of you, you know, you recycle or use some unused shots of yay. She's happy at the end when there's victory, no one's going to be like, Oh, come on. Why didn't you do a better job? <laughs> she has left this mortal realm. That's what you have to do. It's just a dumb movie right. at the end of the day, figure out, figure out a satisfying story way. And people aren't going to, take out their knives because there's not enough general Leia in, in episode nine. She was so integral with Ryan Johnson's draft. You know, he incorporated things back in, uh, you know, falling back upon her tremendous experience as a script doctor. There are lines in this film she wrote and, um, yeah, I just think it, it enhanced the film that much more. Even the fake out for people that, oh, my God, she just got sucked out into space because there's a break in that scene. And then they come back to it and she, you know, gains consciousness and brings herself in. I know there are people who read descriptions of that scene and were like, oh, Superman Leia, you know, she's she's flying back in. It's handled so well that use of the theme by John Williams. And again, Matt. What happens as she comes into the ship? There's the hologram of the First Order's flagship, the Supremacy. 
she bisects it at the exact point foreshadowing what uh, Admiral Haldo will do later on when she books it to light space and uh, light speed and rips right through that ship. Well, and now we get to the category of uh, some of the twists that the that the narrative tells you, and still it uh, still is surprising. That's a great example of foreshadowing. Uh, I guess now is a is another opportunity to say that we get some of the Luke flashback stuff of a time ago. You know when Kylo Ren went bad, and the the differing perspectives, at least the alleged different perspectives, of that final battle, and they were careful to have. Uh, Luke's hair a bit shorter, to have his beard a bit more combed, and to have uh, a bit more color in both. And as soon as Luke, quote unquote, uh, shows up towards the end there on crate, as soon as that hood comes off, I was saying, hold on, he's th- this is the old look for him, or, or the younger look, shall we say? Um, and they didn't they didn't uh, tip their hand too soon. When he's holding hands with Leia and, and hands over the uh, metallic fuzzy dice and all of that, it's going against what I thought was going to be the case. Oh, he's not really there. He's a mental projection, whatever it might be. He For them to then circle. Her. He kissed her yeah. forehead. Okay. And then there's the uh, the checking in of, oh, what's this substance? It's salt. And several times we see characters sliding or leaving footprints it's it's all there. He's even using his lightsaber that Ray now has that's broken in two. Uh, so there's a lot there to go back and look for, but you're watching it the first time and, and you're not necessarily picking up on that. But what did he tell you? He told us, I came to this island to die. He's had this conversation with Yoda. He knows he needs to return to the fight in some way, shape or form. And to astrally project here and to have that be the end for him physically. I still don't think we're done with him as far as this trilogy. I mean, knock on wood that Mark Hamill stays with us, that he fully assumes the, the Alec Guinness role of, of being a force ghost. Now we got Yoda back here and what I think is, you know, the, the second or third best scene of this entire film that has a lot of great scenes. And Pete, um, did, did my eyes spy puppet Yoda? I know we that had some... was that was a mix of puppet and digital Yoda. Um, and, you know, there had been rumors, but that didn't get confirmed until very, very late in the last little bit. And, uh, you know, people saw Frank Oz at the premiere and they're like, OK, and and there you go. And Ryan Johnson absolutely nailed that scene and just continuing to resonate in my mind, that dialogue, you know, particularly what, um, what Yoda tells Luke that we are, uh, what they, uh, they move beyond. And, and that is the essence of this star Wars. It can't always be the same. It has to evolve. It must evolve if it's going to continue and become something else. Okay. Luke has handed it off and he knows that, uh, Ray will be the first of the next Jedi. He's also dealt with Kylo and at least allowed them to, uh, to get away and to, uh, to fight another day. He's had that last uh, opportunity with Leia. I mean, you checked all the boxes. In, in many regards, it was and had to be 
right by number. But the idea that he's going to walk out there and wiggle his pinky and all of those, uh, you know, ATM sixes are suddenly going to fall over. I mean, would that have been awesome? It could have been. It would have been completely unrealistic and and just the the twist nature of this and that they bombard that area and turn it into ash. And then uh, uh, General Hux is saying, do you think you got him? Um, I just love the way that it played. At the end of the day, this is a film that's about the message is to evolve, not just, you know, like, oh, Star Wars has to evolve as a property. Uh, I wonder how many people say, Pete, older than you are are a little annoyed. Because I'll say, as we record this right now, this film has a, uh, a 93% on, uh, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, equaling The Force Awakens. Um, right now, the audience score is much lower, and I think that's because some people are just trying to rain on the parade, and uh, and and other people might be wringing their hands at some things. Pete, how many people do you think older than us are watching this? Going, I don't like this message that you get old, man. Luke Skywalker is always going to be a a bright-eyed eighteen-year-old back in nineteen seventy-seven. <laughs> it's not cool that he got old and died. I wonder if some of the audience did he angst... even die. He gave well, himself over to the force. And, he body and... died. He body died. <laughs> body body massage died. Um, I I just think the the thing that I continually come back to is is going out on your terms, and he did that. And for Ray to talk to Leia, and 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 that's why. You lose that scene if if you cut Carrie Fisher after she gets blown out the bridge of the ship. Um, peace and and purpose that his his demise was peaceful and it had purpose. It wasn't just a, a trick. They survived. He atoned for the mistake, essentially a misunderstanding with Ben Solo but a, a completely tragic one. And I was so really hoping they wouldn't do the redemptive thing with him. I love that they played with it, but there's no bringing him back. And if they're smart, JJ ends that way and he gets worse and worse and worse. You look at where he is at the end of that film she closes the door on him through the connection. And you can only imagine now that they've opened this up and there are other force sensitive people out there. It's also mentioned again about the, the dozen students that Luke had and how the handful of them left. And there's no way that those were the red Praetorian guards because none of them flex the force. So those Knights of the Ren are out there someplace. Do you go back to them? Does he train new ones? Can Ray suddenly, you know, help uh, other people who don't know they even have the force or develop the force? Can, can, uh, can Finn wield it all of a sudden that was the concern oh my god he has a lightsaber like han solo held a lightsaber uh in empire strikes back um so i i think there's a ton of possibilities and um you know but the the luke arc for me and and we knew this was going to be his movie the 
the sadness, the tragedy that the movie was to be Carrie Fisher's for episode nine. And unfortunately, we're never going to get that. And that's why I think you've, you've got to go with the best stuff you got at the moment. And it was so smartly written. He, he very clearly adored the character. Uh, how could you not adore the actress with her, her spunk and her fire? And so much more of that made the role this time than any other time. It certainly was, um, it was, it was notable and interesting to see kind of the Ryan Johnson effect on, on this in part, because I feel like in these past two years, the force awakens has become so ingrained in part because it has these repeat beats and, and has to restart things. Johnson's use of humor is different than JJ Abrams. And, and when there was that, the first flip of the lightsaber, it was like, Oh, I don't know what they're doing here. Oh wait, right. Star Wars can be funny sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he has a little bit less of the razzmatazz camera movements that that JJ does, which is okay too. I mean, certainly, Pete, can we can we put to bed no lens flares in this movie? Whether you like him or don't like him, he's a different director. He's a different writer. Yeah, and you know, somebody new to the franchise, somebody with a with a certain look and sensibility. I think there's more wit in this film than any previous offering. Uh, when you look at his directorial vision coming through first on the writing end and, and then how it comes through on the screen, I think of Ray with her lesson going through with Luke and those flashes of life growing and fossils under the ground and all these different things. I mean, that it, they're, they're quick blips, but they, they leave an impression, time-lapse camera and things like this. We've never seen that in a Star Wars film before. And then when she visits the, the powerfully dark place on the island to balance the light of the temple and uh, the, the reflective and the echo uh, the, with the snaps and everything like that, you know, to, to write that on the page and then to execute it, um, very, very unique and, and makes that stand out all the more against the rest of the saga, the canon, what have you. Yeah. And I think if there's one job that Kathleen Kennedy as, as the, uh, the head of Lucasfilm and the only person who has, uh, retained, uh, producer credit, you know, producer PGA credit amongst the two. Uh, and obviously she'll, she'll retain it for the third, but as, as the kind of main producer between the two of them, she needs to let star Wars evolve. We'll repeat it again. She needs to give that wiggle room and not constantly remake, uh, the last trilogy or let it get too bogged down in other things. Um, IE much of the, of the, uh, the prequel trilogy. So, yeah, some of those different offerings, you know, it's okay to be different. It really, really is. And when you look at the central relationship in this film and in this trilogy um, of Ray and Kylo Ren, and here the device of them having been aware of one another and can't see the environments, but now they can communicate. And then the dagger later that it was Snoke that bridged them together and they've bonded now only to get her here and now to execute her, to break her, not to use her like the emperor did and create another apprentice. He's going to extinguish her 
They're going to get Skywalker. That's going to be the end of it. Don't tell me this is repeating. It's different. Um, and they, they play, you know, I know Tumblr, Matt, is a place where people go on and, and put their, you know, their Raylo uh, fan fiction of them hugging and interlacing hands and things like this. And I, I get it. You know, that's cool. You, you ship the two of them. Um, I'm, I'm glad they're not together. I'm glad they played around with it and people's interest in it. Um, and clearly each character is trying to pull to the other side and how it ultimately plays emotionally and physically. If you don't understand, or if you didn't understand before this movie, that Kylo Ren is a bad guy. <laughs> and at the end of this movie, you still ship Kylo Ren and everything because you think the movie's about Kylo Ren then I don't know what to tell you. You're not understanding the narrative as presented, which is Kylo Ren is a bad guy. And yes, Adam Driver is a handsome fella. And yes, Pete, I'm going to mind my Christmas cookies this year. So hopefully I end up with a chest just like Adam Driver. <laughs> and uh, maybe I can grow my hair out a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I mean, let's separate the fact that he's a cool looking character and a powerful character. Let's not channel our own moments of feeling less than powerful into saying i want to be a mean man like him he's a bad guy and the fact that he's i mean he's ready to kind of co-rule with ray only because she has the power too and right. then w when when he has taken out uh snoke and then clearly ray is no longer an option you know i mean he's he's more than ready with the you know, the, the, the Supreme leader is dead long live the Supreme leader kind of thing. He's ready to take that role, whether he's ready for it or not. He wants it. He wants it. He wants it. Cause he's a little tempestuous brat. He's just the, a little older now. The, the, the petulant, immature, uh, Han Solo side, the recklessness, obviously with the dark side, just dominating his being. But again, the way driver plays him so well, that, you know, you, you feel sympathy and with the misunderstanding of, of, of Luke going to, for one moment, end that darkness, but then relenting on it and, and him being aware of it and, and making Kylo Ren, uh, and, and having to return to at least buy time. So Ray can let's hope ultimately end that in the next episode, um, yeah, I, I just I can't say enough about what they did there. I also can't say enough that we have this female protagonist who is sympathetic towards his plight, who wants to see his side, despite the fact that she watched him murder his father and confronts him on it um, and who makes her own choices and does her own things and is strong in a way that she does not need him. Uh, that she refuses the overtures to go to the dark side, to be trained by him, that clearly were meant for the character to feel conflicted about. I just think it, it's everything we want in 2017 uh, for a woman to be written that way. And, okay, Pete, I'll admit, for the last two years, I've been telling anybody who will listen, clearly the writing is on the wall. Luke Skywalker is her father. The fact that they, A, went against the obvious choice, and B, and most importantly, said to everyone out there, perhaps 
most importantly, the young women out there, but said, said to everyone, it doesn't matter where you're from, you can be special too. You don't need to be the the progeny of Han Solo and Princess Leia. You can truly be a nobody. And if there's that special thing in you, you can you can rise to the highest heights. That is a much better use of her character origin being yeah. a non-origin. Um, because it's so affirmational to everybody. Uh, you know, there's a 99% and a 1% for the reason, because most of us are in the 99%. And Peta, turns out she's one of us too. She's not the continuation of the Skywalker, uh, you know, monarchy, if you will. It's amazing. We have a generation now, Matt, that has grown up with the prequels being their Star Wars. And what's that number one um, criticism of the prequels it's that everything is connected to everything else that darth vader builds c-3po and r2d2 has participated in essentially every major war and conflict and battle that has ever happened and these new movies have said no it, it doesn't all need to be that way okay the, the parlor game that has been who is Supreme Leader Snoke for two years had reached ridiculous proportions. You know, as cool as it might have been that he is the little child in the Jedi Temple that Anakin murders when he first goes bad or that he's this guy that was on the second Death Star or whatever. I mean, clearly people weren't paying attention. He's eight feet tall. He's an alien. He's misshapen. And they said it in the press run for The Force Awakens. He is new. You have not met him. Yet people projected that. So uh, that Snoke is not somebody else. That Ray is not somebody else. Well, guess what? Everybody's got to come from somewhere and People become their own thing. And that's what makes the criticism is in the movie when Kylo Ren is saying to her, to Ray, come with me. Your your parents were nobodies. They died in ignominy. You come with me. You're somebody to me, but you need me. I need to train you. I need to turn you into what you're going to be. We're going to start, you know, the, the second order, the third empire i i don't know but the idea that it's going to be the same thing you're just going to change the name and change the people at the head of it um i just i really really appreciate what they did there it would have been too cutesy uh, initially i wanted her to be the daughter too but it's it's just not the way it goes okay you can still appreciate love the character um, I'm so interested to see where they're going to take her. Are we going to see her as, you know, the return of the Jedi Luke coming into her own? Is she going to make her own, uh, lightsaber with, with what's left? Is she going to solder that back together? Is she going to turn her staff into a double ended lightsaber really long that we've never seen? She is her own person. And I'm so interested, you know, with Luke no longer, shadowing over her with Han Solo, even unfortunately with Princess Leia, no longer directly over her as far as Carrie Fisher's presence. She's going to fully come in her own in this next movie. 
and and these two are, are going to fight to the bitter end. You've got a supreme leader and whatever she is, you know, like Skywalker was a commander in the rebellion, whatever she is now, I'm sure she's got a rank. For people who say this movie isn't feminist enough, just to half repeat what you're saying, Pete, and to distill it on down, she's somebody who she seeks out the teaching. She's not, she doesn't have a teaching prescribed to her. And when Kylo Ren says, I will be your teacher, she says, no, she teaches out her own teaching. She makes her way through tradition and myth and truth on her own. Uh, she's, she's in charge of her own destiny the entire time. And then at the very end there, she's closing the door on the voices that would tell Mm -hmm. her she is less than what she is. And she has realized that she can rise above her origins I mean, it doesn't get, it doesn't get much more feminist than that. That she is no. solely in control of her of her own destiny, and I don't mean to take that kind of fictional high and and dampen it with a a, a real life low a bit. But in the reshifting of the story pieces for Episode Nine, Carrie Fisher is not going to be there as discussed. It, it seems to me that at least some of those some of those leadership sentiments could go to Ray. I'm not saying make mm-hmm. Ray the, the the new allied commander of all rebel forces, but you can give her the, those lines and those scenes of come on everybody, let's go do this, let's go attack whatever it is. Whatever what we had saved for for Carrie Fisher, you can now bring over to her successor. Or Rose, whatever you're going to do, you have very very strong female characters here. But you know, you, you talk about the refusal, but right there, the the team up between uh, Kylo Ren and, and Ray at a time where we're still not sure we're, we're still at like the, you know, half to five eighths way through the through the movie. And, um, you know, that scene of them taking on those guards after, I guess, Kylo Ren turned on the lightsaber, but I'm not completely sure he did as opposed to Ray. I mean, she received it when it came through. And when you, if you watch it again, Matt, you, you need to watch as you know, that lightsaber ignites and then gets pulled forward. How the out of focus eight foot body of Supreme leader Snoke doubles in half. And then, I mean, later his, his torso hits the floor. Oh, that, that I definitely noticed difficult as AMC made it. I definitely did see that. And let's stick with Snoke for a second. I remain, as recently as when I watched The Force Awakens yesterday, I remain not thrilled with the CG of Snoke in The Force Awakens. I, now, I will grant you that that is through the, uh, through the filtration, if you will, of presenting him on, on hologram. From what I saw in this very poorly lit presentation that we saw um his cg was fabulous and he uh, to a point where i was looking at it going i know this isn't andy circus in a mask but it looks like andy circus in a mask except that's not andy circus's mouth and that's not andy circus's side of his face and that's not his eyes like i know this is performance capture i know this is all digital but it looks so great it looked fantastic and again you subvert the ideas Yes, she is brought before him in a throne room. This is shades of Jedi, yet um, that you kill off what a lot of people considered was going to be the big overarching bad guy for these three films, the Emperor. And now you've made the Vader character, the Emperor, 
yet still very conflicted and unhinged in a way that he's continually reminded you're not Darth Vader. And the scene early on where Snoke berates him, take that stupid mask off. You're unbalanced. All these other Pete, things. That was going to be my Halloween for the oh, rest of time. I was going to wear the mask too. It's abusive. Well, look at the way it goes. You, you kill him now. And now, you know, right. Uh, somewhere in a galaxy far, far away, Matt, although it was a long time ago. So the story is going to take us 18 months until it reaches us. Um, <laughs> Kylo Ren is, has made a new mask because now his non Han Solo force daddy doesn't berate him over it. And if you notice too, they, they played up the, the, the voice effect. It, it almost sounded like it was malfunctioning yes, or just yes. made it sound worse. Like to you, you agreed with Snoke, take that stupid thing off. Um, the, the petulism and the abuse simultaneously. And they made us agree with the abusive dad. I, I will disagree in the, with the one point that I don't think episode nine shows him in a new mask for a variety of reasons, including I think it suited the force awakens story to have Darth Vader mask. And then you realize, Oh, Darth Vader disciple. And then all of that. And that movie really plays with the reveal. And what is the hideous beast under there? Like we did with Darth Vader. And then, Oh, the hideous beast is actually the rather handsome fellow from that HBO show. Um, I think, and I, I read that scene where he smashes the mask and then it's, it's dead mask on the floor, broken forever. I read it as very forever in that now it's time to let this actor out of the mask, let this guy out of the mask and, and, you know, just kind of, he, he doesn't need the mask. The story doesn't need the mask for the mystery and the actor doesn't need it because you recognize his face and he's not a hideous beast. And you don't need it for for any purpose. So I, I read the mask as gone, gone forever. When you consider it's like 80, 90 minutes in The Force Awakens until you see him out of that mask. And really, he's only in a handful of scenes without it on. And OK, the, the affectation of the scar, even though they did move it, you can go and look. It, it moved between movies where he's struck and, and where he winds up with the scar. Um the, the physical reflection of that conflict and even with the, the robot band-aid early on when he gets into that, um, they've done a tremendous job with Adam driver and, and he's, you know, become a rightly a, a superstar based on this, um, everything about his Marine past and, you know, just the, the quiet, you know, brooding grace I, I say oxymoronically that he he brings to the uh the the press junkets because he's the guy that you know it's not that we love to hate that we must hate everything about him is hateful and when you return to luke's arc and that return of the jedi at the end of the film and the elaborate ruse that he has survived this bombardment that he just you know brushes his shoulder off uh that now kylo ren lower the shuttle i'm going down there huck says no he throws him into a wall the guy is unhinged what is his first order gonna look like when we see that in 18 months that i think they're just gonna be like a rabid dog and i'm really really excited 
to see the horrible thing that he can become because there is no going back. And, and Luke knew that he redeemed his father here. Leia admitted and he admitted, I can't bring him back. Letting go, you know, it's, it's like addiction people, you know, they have to want it. I can bring you to rehab, Matt, but you have got to want to get better. Otherwise, we're going to have to disagree about your wellness and, you know, you're going to figure things out on your own. And I, I, I think it was a really it, – it, it's, it's considerate and thoughtful, but at the same time, it's empowering for the people who are in situations like that or to know people in situations like that, that that's kind of what you have to do. You have to let people at the end of the day be their own people, raise her own person his own person, Finn's his own person, continuing to find himself. We see Rose emerge here, but Luke has always been his own person and he gets that nudge from Yoda that, you know, okay, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You learn from that too. I, I can't help but think that this film was defined by the time it was made in and to really hammer home this desire of Kylo Ren to get, get back to the way things were for Grandpa and to not let the world, not let the universe change, and to really hammer home his just blind rage, uh, I think is a factor. And also the fact that we end, we end yes with the spark of hope, but that we see the, you know, the rebels turned resistance now. Oh, then you know, rebels again at the end. But we see them whittled down to enough people to fit on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes from four hundred people to thirty. Um, before they add the spark and add a little lift at the end. Uh, I mean, I can't help but think, you know, <laughs> Pete, there have been times in the last 13 months where I've sat here and said, how could this be? And I think that they were really trying to drill down to that feeling. Uh, I, I suspect perhaps some people in Hollywood felt the same way. How could this be? And to just say, we're going to get as as close to the brink of of uh, the the unimagined awfulness as we can and you know what we're going to have a spark of hope and we're going to get back in there and we're going to keep we're going to keep fighting the rebel fight i mean look at it in any other direction there's a reason the resistance has kind of become a you know a rally cry a a a, a cause celebre when it comes to what's gone on socially politically I still maintain that so much of this film was already cast well before the more certain parts of what I'm alluding to. I really don't want to get fully into it with the, the politics and everything like that. But there, there's resonance. You can't deny that there is. And as they are writing, again, episode nine right now, Chris Terrio and – and J.J. Abrams, writers number four and five on this project, um, you know, struggling with the Leia question. I'm, I'm sure, you know, where do you take Kylo? Does he die? Can she bring him back? Um, does she even want to at this point? Should she? All of these things. You look at every character with a very fully formed arc in this film. I know we see Finn a little less in this movie. I get it. But we see him nearly run away just to go find his friend in Ray. We see him meet a new woman. We see him 
uh, go on this mission to uh, Canto Bight. We see him to kind of be swept up in that, having never seen excess to that level before, and then fighting off his uh, his greatest nemesis and and winning. And then, you know, back with Ray at the end, despite the relationship with Rose. So you got a little bit of that tension there. Um, you get R2 back in a, in a pivotal scene. You know, that was a change that was made to uh, requested by Ryan Johnson of J.J. Abrams. He wanted R2 to go to Octo rather than BB-8 so we could get the help me, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope to kind of spur Luke on. And who would have known with Carrie Fisher passing how much more resonant that becomes? Well, Pete, let's talk about some of these, these new worlds that you've mentioned. Uh, let's start with Canto Bite. Uh, we've seen many types of worlds. You know, certainly the, the uh, Maz's watering hole is meant to be evocative of the cantina and A New Hope, so on and so forth. And I know in the novels we've had all sorts of places, including uh, including uh, slicers, as they're called, uh, hackers, and uh, and some casinos and whatnot. But this was such a high point, it, it, just in terms of that idea of new worlds and going to new places. And while most of the narrative is stuck, and rightfully so for story reasons, but stuck, we we you know where we left Dakar, and now they're in the unnamed system that ends up being Crate we still get this splashy presentation of the galaxy here, uh, or at least a little corner of it in Canto Bite. It was oversold a little bit, I think, in the, the PR of this being, you know, uh, the Bond part of, of this movie. I didn't read it that way. Um, but again, that excess, aliens, fancy drinks, boats, beaches, this kind of stuff. I mean, it was shot in Croatia, uh, this this city that's essentially meant to be Monte Carlo on the the planet of Cantonica, uh, with corrupt police, with other ne'er do wells, with the impoverished and possibly even the enslaved and children among them, uh, amongst drunk aliens who keep popping coins into BB-8 uh, to make him pay out. Uh, and, and used beautifully later as projectiles against the corrupt cops of this world. Um, people have pointed to this part of the movie as pointless. It's the second theme here. It's that idea that, you know, people getting rich on the backs of others and, relentless war and oh you're gonna tell me that the the people that make tie fighters are bad oh look at this they make x-wings too i just felt pete that there was this exciting effervescence to the place and i think mm -hmm. back in, in what might seem to be a non sequitur but i think back to watching uh the beginning of return of the jedi when you're in jabba's palace and there's all these nooks and crannies and how does the how does the the blast door entrance? How does that fit into the depths of it? And then when when uh, uh, Chewie is down in the little prison area and their hands sticking through the bars and just kind of all of that, where it feels like this, you know, I'll use a JJism here. It feels like the world is too big to capture on camera. We get that with Canto Bite, where fine, yes, it's a big splashy sequence in a casino. I don't quite know how that makes it Bond like, uh, other right. than James Bond goes to casinos. Um, 
But to me, there I, there was just this effervescence and this life to it, and also a reminder. Again, I return to we're in a narrower story here. We're on Luke's Island. We're on Snoke's ship. We're on we're on the uh, the main ship of the uh, of the Resistance. That's kind of it. So yeah. it, it's welcome to have this big splashy other world that looks different. And to have Maz Kanata there in her one scene as she's fending off a union dispute, if if that's not uh, a short story or a digital series or whatever, you know, the, 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 the dishwasher revolt at Maz's new watering hole, I don't know what should be. But sending them looking for the master codebreaker, uh, Justin Thoreau's uh, little cameo there, only to find... Uh, Benicio del Toro's character and and to have that work out a little differently. Classic Star Wars in terms of, oh, we didn't get what we want, but we got something we can use. Um, Just imagine, Matt, when you watch this movie again uh, on a properly lit screen, how much of, you know, a a really uh, vibrant, rich looking tapestry you're going to be able to see. Uh, I, there was some gif or some still that I saw on Twitter and I was like, oh man, that casino looks really awesome as it turns out. <laughs> um, and let's just talk for a moment about some of these, shall we say, marketable opportunities that come with any Star Wars film. Yes, Pete, there's going to be the the comic book adaptation of Maz's Union Battle. And yes, probably early on before anybody wrote a single word for the script there probably was word from kathleen kennedy who got uh you know orders from from bob Iger and whatnot we need to have the toy what's the toy the toy became the porgs you know just as you could also be down with uh you know c-3po's red arm or down on rather c-3po's red arm in the last film is a way to prove to everybody that you got the force awakens c-3po toy and not the one from the last iteration that they put out. That's one way to look at it. And I think that that's true. Another way to look at it is we want this overstuffed universe. And the fact that there's, you know, the fact that there, that there are all these great extensions to star Wars truly is what part of it's part of what makes the star Wars experience. The time I've spent in the star Wars, the force awakens Lego game outside Maz's watering hole, walking into it and doing little missions there. I now rewatch the movie and get extra joy from the movie because I've spent more time there in my r- real life, you know, watching it on the TV screen, interacting with it in the game than I do in the film. So I'm okay with Porg toys. And if Porgs are there just to help, you know, push $75 million worth of plush, okay. <laughs> Same thing with where's the Maz story going to show up? Okay, that's okay too. How about to delight and to be cute, too, because these are modern day fairy tales, albeit set in the past, and their audience is not us. It's not the intended audience. They want little kids. You know, I I don't – you do look back at the Ewoks a a little differently as you grow up. Um, I, I don't think they were so intently the marketing ploy everybody makes it out. Initially, he wanted Wookiees. He couldn't find enough tall people to do that, so they had to go with little people. Um, and I remember just the intense furor um, 
later on about Ewoks, but it's funny. I didn't hear any criticism at the time in 1983 when that happened. Everybody loved them. Uh, I am team Porg. I love the Porgs. Um, you know, putting them with Chewie and, and helping him through what he's gone through. Let's, let's remember he lost Han and he's dealing with that in this movie. That's the hangover for him. So what do they have him do? He's fricasseed one of these birds. And the first big interaction with the Porgs is the sad eyes. You know, you're, you're going to eat one of me. Don't do that. And then playing around on the Falcon and that, uh, you know, tense fending off of the, the, the Death Star tech cannon, uh, on the door and everything there. Uh, that is what Star Wars is it, it's part of its dna and by the time you're on crate and now we've got the critters there in in the crystal foxes and you know we'll touch a little bit the fathiers of uh canto bite every environment got a critter i mean there were several critters on Ochto. there was a a quick sea monster there was the big fish that that luke spears with a gigantic 50 foot spear <laughs> Um, that's always been the case. Okay. It wasn't a burping alien outside of Jabba's. It can't all be like that. And you know what, Pete, as we wrap up discussion on the Porgs here, the fact that there's that little, that little nest in the Falcon, I'm sure between now and the next movie, it'll be no Tribble at all. Indeed. Um, so let's talk about, um, the new characters, Matt, you know, we've, we've talked about Kelly Marie trans Rose. Uh, so much was made very early on that they were casting a new lead for this, um, that they tapped a comedian. We consider too, that this is an Asian woman and we join in, uh, bombardier sister Paige Tycho, uh, who sacrificed in the very early moments of the movie something they, they make you care about her early on and then introduce Rose and, and build that whole idea and the necklace and the use of the necklace later on. I thought she was really, really well done. Yeah, and I think somebody who somebody who you as an audience member can really sympathize with because she is from the lower decks and because she is a regular person. I mean, if anything, this is a movie that underlines again and again and again, destiny is up to the regular people. It's not the leader class. It's not the trainee of the Supreme leader. It's, you know, we've lost general Organa. Who's next on the list of, of, uh, of, uh, of who's to be in charge in the chain of command. Um, there's always another person who can step up. That's part of the message. And you really get that with Rose. Uh, she's going through her grief, but nonetheless is, uh, is ready to fight and is ready to do her part. Yeah. And you look at Paige there, a, a bomber in this uh, last bomber that has survived that early uh, run against the, the dreadnought with the, the base killing cannons and prevents the the still larger fleet from being wiped out and you know leia's flagship in the radis which is a nod to general radis the uh mon calamari uh general in uh rogue one um i what's not to love about the way 
these characters are used. Would you have wanted more page? Absolutely. But the story on the page demanded her sacrifice there. And it, it's so much more rich for that. I also really enjoyed the character of Admiral Holdo. I appreciate a bunch of things, including uh, is Laura Dern really that tall? She must have been in platforms or something, but that the costuming made her look so resplendent. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's not this clear cut, you know, she is a bad leader. We need to we need to have a mutiny because she's bad. No, she had a plan the entire time. Yes, it was not a a perfect plan, but it was, I mean, I mean, they were essentially out of options and perhaps a bit more conservative than Poe would like, but there's a reason that she's Admiral and he, and he's working his way down the chain of command. Um, and, and then her sacrifice in the end there, it's just, there's a whole arc to her character, even though she's probably not in more than six scenes. I've long admired Laura Dern. I don't think she gets enough credit. This is somebody who's very high up in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I believe she's currently the president. Um, And, you know, just a a tremendous supporting role here. I was so excited when they cast her and it's like, is is this going to be, you know, Ray's mom? What's going to go on? And and then what do they do? They, They put her, she's an admiral. This is a warrior. And, the the juxtaposition of the the flowing gown um you know even more so than leia in a position there and uh with the 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 pink purplish hair kind of reminding people i know at least visually of of some of the hunger games um with the the one uh, elizabeth banks character but really really appreciated there was great intrigue in those middle parts they are on the run just out of the range of the guns of that massive ship they're running their fuel down the the mutiny the idea that somehow maybe she's looking to betray them which is completely a trope within these movies um they played with it really really well and it was at the same time unexpected just as a quick non-sequitur ask a star wars technology question of you pete the most knowledgeable star wars person i know sure um, couldn't some of the first order ships just have done a light speed jump, like 500 feet ahead of where they were. So then now the rebel ships were, were in their, in range they, of their guns or their TIE fighters or all absolutely that. Absolutely could have. I know there's one line that they're, they're faster was, was what we got earlier on. Okay. So they have greater engines or thrust or whatever. You know why Matt? Because story, because yeah. You tease this out on the end of the blade that they are just out of the range and and that this death march, they're continually dropping off ships. I did not see that coming. The medical frigate gets blown up. This other support ship, now they're down to nothing. No, now they now they cloak these little ships and, and head down to a, a planet and just desperate, desperate, desperate. Matt, I mean, maybe in this new trilogy these two films have span what um perhaps three weeks of real time that's it you think of the amount of story that's gone into that and i know there are people in the past who have looked like 
all right, a, a new hope takes place over how many days? Uh, Empire Strikes Back takes place over how many weeks? We got those massive gaps in between. This two-movie, you know, part of a trilogy at this point takes place over a couple weeks, maybe even less. Well, let's talk about the, the the ending of some people's stories. Let's talk specifically about Captain Phasma. Certainly nice to see her return. I, part of me was wishing for still even more than we got, but I think at the end of the day, she as a character is, uh, you know, in that kind of Boba Fett, that Boba Fett niche of, you know, special because you get them so little. Pete, is she dead? She she falls into the fiery unseen below, uh, which we've seen before with Han Solo, with the Emperor. In a nearly others. complete uh, suit that was taking blaster fire off it. So I'm going to say right now, and I know nothing, she survives. But what a character affectation, Matt. We we saw her eye and and we could see it through the suit. What if she fell through the flames and everything was salvaged except she lost an eye and now she returns and the helmet comes off and she's got a crisped over eye there and she uh, is working with Kylo and, and Kylo just completely lets her off the chain. You want him? You want Finn? Oh, you want Ray too? Good, because we're going to go and we're going to gut him and we're going to make it hurt and we're going to make it brutal. I think you've still got the opportunity to bring her back. I know they plumped up that role a little bit more given the Boba Fett effect that we talk about. You know, the really intimidating, cool looking uh, character that that's always seems to have just a little to do, not much. Um, not to overplay it, but they they did add this fight and, and really look to service her. Um, in that short rewrite period, um, just after force awakens came out. Um, so I'm fine with it. If we never see her, I get it. We still have so much to do in that, that third film. Um, but I, I think there's unique opportunity to bring her back. And I love the way too. I mean, if you've read any of the, the comics and the, the stuff that's gone on, They've made her just the ultimate survivor. The the first Phasma comic uh, makes it that she doubles back while the Starkiller base is being ripped apart and completely scrubs that she was the one that drops the shield. And then there's an officer who knows about it, who escapes, and she tracks him down and eliminates him. We um, we saw the woman who wrote the the Phasma novel at New York Comic Con and and talked about her influences for, for writing that role. So they could be done with her. I, I, I think you got to bring it back. Well, Pete, let's talk about another character who's, uh, whose fate is currently unknown. That is of course, force sensitive stable boy <laughs> is, which for, let me say right out of the gate, I say boo hiss to the fact that you don't end with the main story. Uh, you want to throw in a coda there? That's fine. You want to avoid. But they a post did end with the main story. We saw these these children earlier. That character Eden has a name, Matt. He is named. Um, now, is that kid going to turn back up? Is this going to be two years of you know my Snoke theory is my Staple Boy theory is? Um, it, it shouldn't be. Is it? 
it, it will be. This will be endlessly speculated. Who knows? We'll even see him again. But if we've got Ray, who who comes into the Return of the Jedi Luke role of really coming to the the forefront of her abilities, and now she's got some other people, not necessarily training, but finding themselves to be force sensitive. I think this last movie sets up as just a, a army against army, head on headbutt everybody using everything they've got against the other one to eliminate it i think that that's what that last film has to be does force sensitive stable boy is that a is that a jumping off point for the the ryan johnson trilogy i have to wonder that clearly the executives saw and kathleen kennedy uh championed johnson with his script and with his effortless direction of this film which has not been the case with all these star wars movies i mean we're in our third movie in two years um and it's it's not gone well <laughs> but financially and critically they've they've done very well and and they continue to earn passes but um i i did the first time i saw that think okay this could be what comes next, or is he opening this up? They they have said it won't be the Knights of the Old Republic, which I know a lot of people speculated. All right, he's going to go way way back and and tell a trilogy of of you know whether they would resurrect some of the video game characters or even you know canonize them, whatever it's going to be. Um, I do hope it sticks with the Force. I I hope it sticks with the things that we're used to at the same time, you know, let's, let's really explore it. Um, I just don't know. Uh, I, I think it would certainly be bold. I think it works both ways right now until we know what's coming. And, uh, yeah, the, the future is just so wide open and that's a credit to what he did. I do want to touch on Benicio del Toro though. I, I don't know if we're done with him either. And I don't know if, necessarily um he could wind up in this next film or if he winds up elsewhere um really establishing him and this is a name actor the character never gets a name um his hat has the aberish saying the the star wars language there it says don't join and he was known as dj and there were all sorts of theories. This is Ezra from Rebels. This is this person. This is that person. Again, it doesn't need to all connect. And um, that that Phasma and First Order paid him off, that he's floating around out there. Who knows? But I, I think there's there's a lot of possibilities. It certainly all does not need to connect back. There's I think there's a certain point where you know, everybody puts their puts their cards on the table and whatever the forward-thinking plans are for Star Wars after this trilogy, obviously now we know of the Ryan Johnson trilogy, but if you're also in secret planning the the, the, the live-action Star Wars for realsies, not the one that was developed and developed and developed uh, in, the, in the George Lucas era to a point where I'm just going to keep showing up for work to develop this as long as George Lucas keeps paying me. Um, but if there is, if if for the the Disney over the top online service, whether it's going to be Hulu or not, after this this deal with Fox closes, whatever that's going to be, whatever your Star Wars live action is going to be, 
do you have a secret uh, contract in place for Benicio del Toro to play DJ in, you know, as the lead of those episodes in maybe Star Wars Underworld or whatever whatever the the thing might be? I think, and, and I mention all of this to return to my initial point of now is the time to start to look forward. What connections is Kathleen Kennedy looking to make forward now that they, you know, in the past. Uh, two years they've they've undertaken successfully the monumental task of restarting the trilogy in force awakens starting the the anthology series of films going now you have successfully birthed the second in this new sequel trilogy it's in this sequel trilogy when you can start to do things that are going to be not part of the main thing or not Mm -hmm. kind of with all due respect to rogue one and to the 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 wonderfully titled solo um that's kind of the lower hanging fruit and that's not mm-hmm. that's not for me to relitigate parts of rogue one that i didn't enjoy it, it's a solid concept for a movie I, hopefully they learn some lessons about have the script in place before you you know need to make substantial changes <laughs> i guess they didn't know that i say it because that was also the case with solo but i mean point being to do a you know, beginning of the uh, of the rebellion that's great to do han solo origin that's great at a certain point you're going to realize Oh, no one's clamoring for the origin story of Guy on Cloud City carrying the ice cream maker. <laughs> That's we common, can't... man. Come on, ice cream maker, the movie. Uh, the, the character has a name, man. He's got an action figure, Will Rowe Hood. But, um, I mean, listen, there, there's been very little officially, but it seems like the Obi-Wan Kenobi standalone is next you've heard rumblings in recent days that they're getting the Boba Fett thing finally back together, you know, and that has to be a film who knows if he pops up somehow in the solo movie. I want the Yoda one, Matt, if if we're going to go way the heck back, I want to go 800 years backwards, 900 years backwards and, and see Yoda. And, And we still know so little about his race. We've glimpsed one other, uh, we don't even know a name for that race. It's believed to be the Wills. It's never been uh, canonically stated. I, I think time's coming for that. But, you know, you, you look at where we are and thank goodness, Matt, that, uh, you know, you and I can have the discussion that that boy is force sensitive because I'm guessing there's a lot of people in the theater. We watched it last night that didn't know that. <laughs> Again, I return to uh, I could not physically see it. Pete, let's talk about something else that you had to explain to me. Um, well, let, let me start with this. We see in Luke the rejection of the sacred texts, of tradition, of dogma. And he's told, you know, by Yoda, who in many ways you want to say is a John the Baptist type, type or at the very least Yoda is representing... Uh, the the nature of the force religious or natural or, or otherwise and i and, i think a self effacing you know they say that's the highest level of knowledge is to be able to poke fun at yourself and you look at those later incarnations of yoda you don't see him joking around a lot in that prequel era and and that i think was the great way to write that that he has no sense of humor, at least he shows no sense of humor about himself then because everything's so stern and so serious. And how did that work out? They were duped right under themselves. And that Luke even utters the name Darth Sidious in this film 
in a callback to those prequels. Uh, he could have said the Emperor. No, he chooses that. And that Yoda had fought him and fought it to a draw to to escape, to go into hiding and everything there. I, I just think is so well done and I'm so grateful he popped back up in this film to to have this moment. We could never get any more Yoda and it, it goes out on a tremendous note. And to return to my point, we have Yoda and Luke both rejecting dogma, rejecting these ancient texts. But Pete, where do those texts end up? Well, if you look quickly and you got to know to look for it, um, Ray has them in a drawer on the Falcon. So the idea that Yoda sent the Thunderbolt down uh, and Luke was going to burn the tree yet didn't want the text to burn, which I struggle a little bit from a motivation uh, aspect, but it's a it's a small qualm. Um that they survived and does it become a thing with how much we crack open the story possibilities in this film? Does that become a thing moving forward that she can teach people that don't have the force as a bloodline issue to use the force? Do you need genetically, you know, we go back to midichlorians, we go back to the demystification of the force. And now that, she's in possession of this knowledge that Yoda had to have known wasn't there, got away. She stole them, Matt. That's the thing that never gets addressed. Um, and I think wisely so to, to know to look for it. But I, I imagine Chris Terrio and JJ are sitting in a room in uh, Burbank or maybe going for a lot of walks in Santa Monica at Bad Robot and uh, figuring this out right now. It, it's a wonderful time to dream about what happens next. Well, Pete, as we start to wrap up here, let's talk first. What are your thoughts about episode nine? Obviously, we're going to have, you know, some sort of resolution with Kylo Ren. Uh, hopefully, we can see the First Order toppled by the end of it. Maybe even a, a montage of all the places where they are now free <laughs> and dancing and pulling down statues. Um, but what else do you think is ahead for us? I think the the one aspect that I think is really interesting so they put out the call to come help them on crate and it was received in multiple points and it wasn't answered. That's very, very interesting. Um, so much was made that on, on the press tour here that Lando's not back, that Billy D Williams is not back. So maybe you bring him back in this new one, particularly since Leia can't come back or at least come back in the Carrie Fisher performance sense. So I don't know. How do you re-envision Lando? He's going to be a big character in the solo film. Surely JJ has access to all of that stuff. How do you pay homage to the past and make him new? You know, is he has he really gotten his act together? Is he super rich? Does he have a fleet that he can like rent to the rebels? You know, like what's what's the interesting thing that would change his character? further redeem him from being the the judas the the traitor early on maybe he swoops in like all right hel hello ray what do we have here i i think billy d williams 
getting back into this could potentially help to solve that massive Princess Leia problem. I, I can't reason, Matt, why they have upfront said no CGI because I because think because it was terrible uh, in Rogue One. I, I, you and I have disagreed on that, and I I remain um, unconvinced it was terrible. I I found it believable, and I think it really works. Um, even the Tarkin, I I find to really work. Do you make the Leia thing? L- let me ask you. Let's predict. Is she killed off screen? Is she, well, she's in the something something system and couldn't make it for our grand finale here, but sends her love. Is is she abducted by Kylo? Ray goes running headlong into it. She arrives there just as he, he even more fully goes bad and, and kills his mom. Um, where do you go? How do you solve this problem? I think it comes down to this. Clearly, well, I stand by what I said about the CGI being terrible, but clearly they've decided no new footage will be created. Do they have old footage that they can use to act as a uh, to act as a buffer to exit the character out? Such as, as I said before, she's on planet A, the main action is on planet B, you get a couple of reaction shots for her going, oh, oh no, are you all right? Uh, cut to her over the space radio and voice actress saying, make sure you get back to base A. You know, do you do that route? Does it come across as tip of the hat or does it come across as a little maudlin? Or B, do you simply not have her in it? And if she's not going to be in it, then I think the solution must be to have the character pass away off screen. And that's that. And I think that they're going to lean towards the latter. And I'll tell you why. Clearly, they had more plans for Leia, and yeah. rightfully so. But now that that's not an option, here's a story result. You free up a whole bunch of story for other people. So is it that Rose now gets moved to the forefront? Or as I said before, is Ray now given some of the leadership scenes of, you know, this is our finest hour kind of speeches? Um, is it given to a, a new character to emerge in the in the Mon Mothma and uh, Admiral Holdo kind of role. Uh, whatever it is, I think that's a better solution to say, let's, let's create something new out of this negative as opposed to really try and, you know, do we have any footage from her, from Force Awakens in an outtake that we could then digitally redress her outfit as opposed to just say, she's out, let's go in another direction. And yeah. I think that's the way they're going to go. I mean, I, I would hope for some way to get her satisfyingly in that. I think if you leave her out, it, yes, a terrible thing happened. And at the end of the day, this is a story, but it's a story she's so closely associated with. I love that Billy Lord got an increased role in this, um, that she's right there at the beginning of the movie, that she, uh, that her, uh, Connix character survives there to the Falcon. I, I want to see her become a regular. I really hope I have to believe that JJ Abrams is, is going to look to make her bigger and bigger and bigger in this final installment. Um, yeah, it's, it's a daunting question. It really is. And, you know, for the people who are eventually going to see these films and maybe not understand the context of the passing of this actress, you have to wonder ultimately 
how it will play. And then, oh, wow, did you know she she made that movie and died in between, but they they couldn't kill off her character and everything like that. I mean, let's touch, too, on the on the touching tribute in the middle of the credits, Matt, before the lights came on as the credits were still rolling at AMC theaters in Brick, New Jersey. Um, you know, in loving tribute to our princess, Carrie Fisher. I mean, it's, it's just a, a tender, tender moment. And I think it's the right place to have it in the credits. Yeah. Uh, you get to have the exit of this movie has ended and then now forever in the credits, you'll have this, uh, you know, a bit later on, not, not, not right with the, you know, you still have to end the star Wars movie with aspirational end and music rises and cut to the credits and that sort of thing. But just to take that moment to, to tip the hat to her was really, really nice. So where does this one stand in the pantheon for you, Matt? We're eight episodes in We're one, standalone soon to Han Solo is going to be the 10th movie in this franchise, uh, in, in six months, uh, you know, down the road here, where do you think this one falls for you? These movies change for me in a way that others do not, uh, whether that's me age seven or eight, so terrified by the Han Solo torture scene in empire that I press stop on the VCR. I still remember it was the first VCR we had press stop on it and ejected the tape. Like it was wow. this foul thing. Wow. And then, and then definitely saw return of the Jedi for the first time. Not quite sure why Han Solo was in the black thing. Um, so to go from that to recognizing empire at the top of the list, uh, I could tell you that, uh, the initial go round of the prequels, um, Phantom Menace, Eh, okay, good, but not great initially. Uh, now I'd say it's just difficult to watch. Um, Attack of the Clones, I loved when it came out. I had on DVD as soon as it came out, rewatched it. I thought that at the time, Attack of the Clones was the second best Star Wars film of the then five that were out. Uh, a rewatch has shown that that has dipped quite a bit. Um, I haven't seen Revenge of the Sith as much as the other five, which perhaps is telling in and of itself. Mm. Mm. Um, sand, it gets everywhere. Although that might have been Attack That's of Attack Clones. of the Clones, bro. But, but <laughs> bottom line is the whole the whole prequel trilogy is like sand. It gets everywhere. Um, so if they're at the bottom end, I think Rogue One is a little bit... Rogue One is above those three. Um, I still have major problems with, with Rogue One, but have fun nonetheless it sounds like you're literally going one to uh six to five at this point as as being best to worst um now that's interesting i don't i i wouldn't quite go that far i would say that the prequel trilogy is at the lower end of my spectrum right empire is at the highest end probably if that's one a one b is a new hope uh, did I like this more than Return of the Jedi? The Return of the Jedi that I view now as an adult, where it's weird with the little teddy bears versus like, hey, those are cool friends I could be friends with if I was a kid in Star Wars land. Um, yes, I liked this more than I liked this more than Return of the Jedi. So that means it's top. Th- well, I didn't. I haven't talked about Force Awakens. To me, Force right. Awakens is 
first of all, I think here's what we need to do, Pete, not to turn this tangent too lengthy. Let's set a new hope aside as right. this the original. As this, yeah, as the original, as this near perfect thing, even though I like um Empire, Empire. better. A new hope a new hope is this this perfect movie that achieves all these things, creates this world out of out of nothing and so forth. So we'll leave that out of the loop. Um I would say I liked on the one viewing on of this, I like it a little less than uh, than The Force Awakens, which I like less than Empire. So there you go. Okay. Third of the six, leaving New Hope out of it. I hope that wasn't too long a road to reach that That's, point. No, I think at this point it it really requires contemplation. Uh, Attack of the Clones has one of my favorite movie, one of my favorite moments in all of these movies that. Uh, Yoda gunfight at the OK Corral lightsaber duel with Count Dooku. It, it just made me giddy to see that for the first time and, and still remains such a, a wonderful memory. The rest of that movie just falls so flat. And the further we get away from when it was made, I think the worse it holds up. Um, I like episode one. I think uh, episode three is stronger obviously um still wasn't as pleased as i hope to be with episode three and there i thought that was the end of star wars um i think that uh return of the jedi would be ahead of those for me even though i have very very strong memories of that it was right in my wheelhouse at seven eight years old um you've you've got uh, I think Force Awakens after that, Matt, I, I think right now, I think it's Empire and then I think it's The Last Jedi right now. I, that could change, but uh, the, this for me, I come back to that Yoda scene um, with Luke here and it, it just spoke to me so so much and uh, yeah, I look forward to further visits to this and you know, playing it over and over again for the next 18 months and just thinking about where that goes, where these other movies go. Uh, you know, they'll never be, I, I really believe. And, and at the same time, hope they'll be as plentiful as the Marvel movies. I, I think that are a different animal. Um, the idea that we got three Marvel movies this year that we would ever get three star Wars movies in a year. I don't know if, if time could handle it. Um, it's going to be a true test when Han Solo comes out in May, given again, the discord behind the scenes there, but they seem to with Ron Howard really have righted things. I mean, we don't have a glimpse at that movie yet and it opens in May. Think about that. Wow. <laughs> I suppose there's also the possibility of it being moved, although I'd have to look at the Disney calendar. They um, are still cemented to that date. And you have to imagine that they would have already moved. I mean, six months out, they they would have to at this point say, you know what, we're going to push it. We like the Christmas thing. We're going to keep the Christmas thing. Um, whatever it's, it's the quality that's going to emerge. And, you know, you and I differ on Kathleen Kennedy. Um, she's not laid an egg here yet. And until she does, she's going to continue to do things her way. Um, and, and I don't think she's made a mistake yet. We'll see how solo comes out, but they have earned a dud if they ever get one. 
I'm certainly not rooting against Kathleen Kennedy. I just no. can't help but notice that of the last four Star Wars movies, two have been in grave peril, red alert, emergency, dump directors, bring in new people, do reshoots. Well, I mean, can we throw episode nine already at yellow alert? Uh, yes, in that that has now continued. So of the five that have been... Of the, of the five that are in some version of production, whether it's complete or partial or recent release or as with episode nine pre-production, yeah, you've had to fight. Three-fifths of them have needed to have directors fired. I mean, let's consider, too, it, it's not on the project, Boba Fett. Certainly, there's a whole variety of options for whatever the third anthology will be. They're probably very wise not having... Um, announced that too far in advance i i continue to think that disney must have learned so so much from the tron sequel which was announced with with no one knowing it uh with no one anticipating it announced one year at san diego comic-con as the it's just a pretend little trailer for a movie we're not going to wait but if you really like it then we're going to make it the next year was we're officially making it and now we're really going to get you revved up and then the year after that was all right this is our big panel before the movie comes out and hardcore fans were just exhausted when three and a half years after it was first announced the movie finally comes so i think they're wise to not have said ewan mcgregor's Sign on the dotted line, and you know who else has Pete? Tomorrow Morrison, because it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be <laughs> Obi and the Boba hanging out. You know, like, um, I mean, can you imagine? We're here at the sequel to Force Awakens two years later. It was three years every year of my childhood at age two, at age five, at age eight to get those first three of the trilogy. And now we've closed it down to two years. Um, that to me is insane that the level of filmmaking and, and these are arguably bigger movies with more moving parts. I know the big criticism that George Lucas, he said this movie was beautifully shot. He said there were too many sets. There were 160 sets made for this movie. For this movie? Yes. That took place on... The, the the big first order ship and well, i guess i could see that because you have the first order hallways and the first order you got a lot of little bridge. setups yeah. i think they you know and again we're we're past the oh it's all cgi even though hey matt guess what there's a lot of cgi but the uncanny valley has pretty much been bridged to this point that we accept it and they they choose their their battles, you know, they film plates in wherever they filmed uh, the the salt uh, flats in in Europe in, in that general area, um, maybe around Croatia, whatever it was. I don't have it in front of me, um, you know, and everything else was was done on set. So, you know, all right, if if that's the criticism that the maker has at this point, that there were too many sets, I, I think we find why, you know, he took the retirement. And I know there's the rumor of some bitterness or whatever, but he took his $4 billion and and he remains part of this legacy. And, uh, you know, we'll always have what he gave us and, you know, continue to push it forward. By the way, here's why uh, the Han Solo movie is not going to come out 
<laughs> next fall slash winter. Here's here's what's on the radar for November and December 2018. Uh, Disney drops in November, Mulan live action, The Nutcracker and the Four Realms. That's two on one weekend. I have to imagine one of those is going to move, but whatever. I don't run the studio. Two weeks later, Warner Brothers drops Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. A week, a, a week and a half after that, Disney drops uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2. That's November. Then in December, um, Disney drops uh, right in time. In fact, apparently right on Christmas Day, Mary Poppins returns. There is not the room on the Disney calendar slash kid calendar when you factor in uh, uh, Fantastic Beasts, let alone December also has the Bumblebee movie from Paramount. We'll see how well that does. Aquaman as well. Yeah, uh, May is a good choice. Two weeks after, or actually, I take that back. What's the date in May? For uh, Han Solo? Yeah. Is May 21st. I uh, No, May 25th. It's 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 three weeks from Avengers, which is May 4th. So it's May 25th, which is the, um, the date of the original Star Wars. Uh, that, that initial date, or that original date, rather, that makes sense. I'll say, too, yeah, three weeks after Infinity War, that's... That's the perfect amount of space, particularly with, I bet there's not a whole lot coming out in June that's going to get in the way of it. Oh, I take that back, Pete. A weekend after, we'll be busy podcasting 2018, uh, a week after um, Solo is going to be Deadpool 2. So, yeah, you, you pick your date, you stick with your date. Mea culpa. Spoiler Pete is right yet again. And Matt? Solo, Avengers, uh, Deadpool 2, we'll be bringing all of this to you. And that only happens because of our resistance, our rebel scum, Matt, our patrons. Indeed. Big thanks to everybody who supported us, who has supported us, who will support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek as discussed in another podcast uh patreon has backed off the fee changes that they were going to make so the level you want to support us at is the level you support us at no monkey business with patreon in the middle there and uh always so glad to have people's support and help but pete the biggest support out there is that people can talk to you on twitter how can how can the folks out there do so you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,709 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. We are Fantastic Geek. Visit FantasticGeek.com. Email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Reach us on Twitter and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, everybody listening to this is listening to the Pop Culture Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to talk the latest episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and later this weekend to talk more Punisher, correct? Absolutely. And don't leave out the runaways in there, Matt. <laughs> Uh, great times around Fantastic Geek headquarters these days. And Pete, it might not be the last Star Wars that we talk for 2017. We're going to firm up those plans on our secret Rebel base, and we will send out the <laughs> transmission to everybody. Hopefully people are there receiving and answering. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final The Last Jedi word. 
no one's ever really gone.